Workmen on the scaffolds scrubbed the granite faces this clean. This statue is situated right in front of one of the more popular buildings here. It also stands as the oldest educational building. By 1930, the two harbors... Exploring the stories behind the construction of some of Australia's most interesting buildings. This is If Walls Could Talk. If Walls Could Talk. With Dean Mason. So we are back with another episode and uh, this one is going to be a little different because rather than focusing on one particular building, uh, this one is going to focus on an element of the built environment that is uh, kind of an iconic part of the Australian built and natural environment. And before we get into it, let's introduce um, my co-host, my co-pilot for today is Isabel Toland, uh, who is a Sydney architect, one half of um, Eileen Sage Architects, along with Amelia Holiday, both of whom then also teamed up with Michelle Tabbott, who is an urban strategist, to become the creative directors of Australia's exhibition at the 2016 Venice Architecture Biennale. That's quite a mouthful. Am I kind of on track there? <laughs> yeah, very much so. Now, um, the exhibition was called The Pool. Yeah. Tell us, can you just explain explain it in your words what the actual exhibition is? So essentially the project was very much about the pool as we called it something very simple to evoke the simplicity of, of what is actually like a very singular and enticing, very seductive object, but then is so full of so many layers of complexity and stories. And we wanted to sort of delve into that and really reveal that and uncover what is so significant about the pool in Australia, essentially, and why. And so the exhibition is literally a swimming pool, right? Yes, exactly. And that was a really key part of it because we're, we're architects and an urbanist. Um, it was important to us that we delivered something that was architectural, that was actually a space that people um, experienced, not just an exhibition that pictured or spoke about somewhere that was elsewhere. It spoke about all those things, but it was in itself a pool as well. And by the way, I should throw in that this was in Venice in 2016, but it's actually currently running uh, in Melbourne at the NGV at Federation Square, right? Yes, that's correct. So walk us through in Venice when you when you entered the, the exhibition, what, what happened? Okay, so in Venice, um, it was the first architecture exhibition in the um, new Australian Pavilion in Venice, which was quite a big deal in itself. So really we wanted to celebrate that new pavilion as well, not just because it was the first time that people would be experiencing it at the pavilion as a piece of architecture. So for us, the setup was very much a dialogue as well between us as young architects and um, a very established firm um, of Denton, Corker and Marshall who had just delivered this um, very interesting, very simple black box pavilion essentially on the edge of the canal in Venice. So Venice was such an apt kind of location as well for something talking about water essentially mm. and that relationship between you know our country and that location there in Italy right on the edge of the canal um, looking over the water essentially so um, so when you entered that space you basically there was a pool that filled the space and it was it's 60 uh, 60 square meters it was um, in dimension or size so it filled the majority of that space essentially and once you walked in the acoustics of that space really changed because of that body of water and then um, we had we worked with theatre lighting designers um, Nick Schleeper and Sean James Holland um, who were worked with us and NIDA as well in collaboration to sort of set up this whole theatre lighting rig to um, really ensure that we had projection of light of those beautiful water kind of patterns off the surface of the water onto thrown onto the walls around you. So it was very immersive as an experience. And then there was a whole audio track. Um, so again, we collaborated with a um, composer and instrumentalist, Brie Van Rijk, 
who worked as well in collaboration. There were a lot of collaborators, yeah, creative that's collaborators. One on of this. the things that blew me away about it was it, it wasn't just that the, the three of you teamed up to do it. You had a really diverse team of people working yes. on this. Yeah. But I think like the pool itself too, as an experience, it was very simple and I felt very singular, but it was again all this layer of like many people that came together to make it what it was. So yeah, it, there was the acoustics, the sound, the, we worked with a radio story editor, um, Kate Montague, who edited the interviews that we conducted with a variety of people. So that's so, another aspect in itself, of yeah, course. So this gets really interesting because yeah. this is one of the things that first grabbed my attention about it is um, there were eight um, high-profile Australians yeah. that you roped in to do almost like little sort of radio documentaries about yes. their experience of the pool. Yeah. Now, why eight? Um, eight, well, there are eight competition lanes in an Olympic pool. So we thought eight seemed like a, 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 a kind of appropriate number and then... Also, we just kind of put together this list and we a massive list, essentially, of people yeah. that we thought would be interesting to talk to. I mean, the Biennale is great in the sense that you just say that name and people will, will you know, it'll prick their interest. They'll say, oh, OK, what are you doing for it? So once, I mean, the pool in itself was great too. So the combination of the Biennale, Venice Biennale, and, and saying it was about the pool in Australia and culture and identity and landscape and architecture immediately got people interested. It was really interesting. When you, whenever you said that to anyone, suddenly everyone had their own story about the pool to tell you and um, that's what we loved about it. It kind of led a life of its own just, just through these like simple words. Let's share with everyone else who the, who the eight were. Yeah, so we interviewed um, environmentalist Tim Flannery, uh, Olympians who were more obvious. So a lot of them are not very obvious as to why we wouldn't talk to them yeah. about the pool. The obvious ones were Ian Thorpe and Shane Gould, two very, um, you know Olympic swimmers, obviously, but from very different generations. So that made it very interesting too. And they've gone on to do very interesting things mm. um, following their Olympic careers. Um, also, um, uh, art curator Hetty Perkins, and who's also the daughter of uh, Indigenous activist Charlie Perkins. Fashion designer's Romance was born. Uh, also, singer-songwriter Paul Kelly and two authors, Christos Trokas and Anna Funda. And each of them have their own very own particular story about why we decided to talk to them too. So of, of those eight stories, um, I mean, you had me at Paul Kelly. Yes. Yeah. As, as soon as I saw that, I was like, that's amazing that they got Paul Kelly. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're all very good storytellers too, interestingly, in their own ways. But Paul Kelly is an obvious one that I think people think, oh, yeah, he's a really, you know, he epitomises great storytelling and, you know, he's so characteristically Australian and mm. uh, so that's why we approached him and we were very lucky too he needed a bit of more coercing than others actually to convince him to talk Did to he? us we were fortunate in that Brie who worked with us on the soundtrack is actually one of his um, session musicians she's a drummer Aha. she tours with him so we managed <laughs> to get her to twist his arm and he, once he once he committed to it he really committed to it too he was so into it and you know following the interview he'd send us all these pictures you know Fantastic. and keep us kind of in the loop and, and we actually went and saw him recently playing at um, the opera house in the forecourt too and I'm sure that one of his songs <laughs> I don't know whether I should say this publicly but I'm sure that we've inspired one of his songs called Petrichor because that's what we talk about that it was the smell actually within um, the space when you walk in so that's how we described it to people when we were saying uh, you know describing the experience that we wanted to design and make we worked with scent designers Lynn and Tony and um um, Maison Balzac and they created this well, scent that we used in the space which is essentially like wet earth after the rain in the yeah. Australian bush and um, and a bushfire essentially so it has kind of a fiery earthy smell to it and um, yeah he wrote a song called Petrichor which came out just after this so right. like hmm that's very interesting anyway <laughs> claim um, it claim it yeah, take I'll, it <laughs> <laughs> anyway so yeah he was fantastic and he um, and we also worked with a um, 
photographer, Brett Boardman, who is an architectural mm. uh, photographer, but also a portrait photographer and um, knows us as well. We've known him for many years through architecture. He actually taught me and then also, you know, um, has gone on to photograph a lot of projects that I've been involved with. And he very kindly um, was also very enthusiastic about taking portraits for this project too. So he took Paul Kelly's photograph in um, the Harold Holt Swim Centre. They both like jumped in and like he took this amazing underwater portrait that's just been quite kind of iconic for the project too. Which you can see um, at the exhibition currently yes, in the National the Gallery yeah. um, in um, Victoria. But there's also a great book that goes along with this um, exhibition, which yeah, I assume right. people can get their yes, hands on as well. Yeah, you can buy that through Books on Manic or at the NGV store. So a few different outlets are selling it. Um, and that was a key thing for us as well. We really didn't want this to be seen as an exhibition that was only appreciated by people in Venice that happened to go to this one very kind of you know, select event. It's not yeah. something that you know, everyone gets to do to go to Venice and go yeah. to the Biennale. So we had all these different outlets, um, like the book that is very much a standalone book. It's the transcript of all of the eight interviews that we conducted. So we conducted the interviews ourselves and we transcribed that and we also then edited them into, um, along with Kate, into eight radio stories which are held by Radio National. ABC Radio National has all of those eight stories too that mm. are individual stories in themselves that were different to the soundtrack that was in the space in the exhibition. And I've, I've listened to all of those oh, okay, and they are, um, they are fantastic. So go online and find them. They're, they're just a, a, a genuinely interesting take on, you know, as you said, it's so Australian. Like mm. once you start talking about it, everyone has a story about swimming pools. Yes. And I think that's what we were keen to highlight too as architects uh, as well. And why I ended up in this profession, I think, is that it brings together so many different aspects of life from science to the arts and culture to, you know, technical aspects. And, and you know, it brings so many people together. And it's the same thing for the pool. It's like this sports and leisure facility, but there's this amazing kind of cultural um, linkage too. And that's what we wanted to highlight and why we interviewed such varied people from different industries and involved so many people from a lot of arts and cultural industries too because everyone has this connection to pools in one way or another and um, it's a great kind of way to bring people together to talk in common ground. Well and it's it is a really great example of um, how the built environment can have such a strong social impact. Yeah exactly and that was also key to our proposal. Um, the setup for Venice, I mean, that's a key part for my practice and always has been. Um, I've always been more interested or very interested in the community aspects and social aspects of architecture. And um, it was important to me that they came out in a project. And it's an interesting thing too, we realised, um, putting the project out there, that a lot of people, I think, immediately jumped to the conclusion that because it was about architecture and design, it must have been about beautiful, prestigious pools, you know, for mm. very wealthy people. And, and that wasn't at all what it was about. It was very very much about pools for people and yes we acknowledge and you know and that was also the great thing about Christos Chokos including Christos Chokos his book um, The Slap is is focused around a pool and then he's since gone on to write other books like Barracuda and that kind of thing but in his interview with us too he kind of highlights and talks about this fact that when he um, was a university student the pool was very much this kind of unattainable dream it was only mm -hmm. for the wealthy people and you know but it was also part, you know, very important to him as a place of sexual awakening, really, and about him kind of finding himself. Mm. Um, but also he loves swimming and swims all the time now too, and he sees it very much as a place for community and people of lots of different backgrounds and ethnicities and, and social kind of um, socioeconomic standing and that kind of thing. That was something that sort of stood out as a theme in all of the interviews is everyone mm. kind of essentially brought it back to the fact that um, I think Paul Kelly called it, you know, a great democratic 
democratic space. Yeah. Um, Anna Funder, I think, um, called it, you know, it's a great leveller. Exactly. What is it about the pool that you think has contributed so much to our cultural identity in Australia? Well, I think it really goes back or tracing and pulling it back right to before even um, Europeans uh, living in this country too. And that was why as well it was important to us to bring in those stories and why Hetty was a fantastic person to bring in that link, not only um, for various you know, connections in the fact that as an art curator, she had actually raised funds um, through the sale of artwork from different Indigenous communities to fund building pools. And she, pools in remote, in these remote communities have become very important and they've done a lot of medical studies about those pools and the impact on health and um, well-being. Basically, in these Indigenous communities, they have proved through these medical studies that there's a significant decrease in these sort of skin sores that are oh, right. very prevalent in many mm-hmm. communities, especially in dry communities, like the ones out in the desert and that kind of thing. So aside from the kind of basic social impact yeah. of providing a social space for kids to gather and play and, you know, a leisure space um, that's also, you know, great for older people too um, to exercise in as much as for, you know, babies and young people. They've also shown that these that swimming, in fact, the regular um, use of the pool basically uh, reduces the occurrence of these skin sores, which are actually um, tied in with um, very significant health problems later on in life, mm. such as heart disease and kidney failure. So actually, you know, it's <laughs> the impact is phenomenal. And they've also kind of done studies on the improvement to ear and eye health for a lot of the Indigenous kids in those communities, So, so which is why she decided to fund those pools. Mm. So that was the reason why we initially... Um, went to talk to her but also because her father there's this very um significant portrait of her father um, yeah. so this for i was just going to say like yeah. let's give people the background on yes uh, on her dad and swimming pools yeah. because when i when i first heard this the, the story about um charles perkins charlie perkins and the freedom ride back in yeah. 1965 mm. i was blown away by it for a start and I was blown away that I don't remember learning that story in high school like in modern history and it's just it's such an amazing story. Yeah it is and actually when we started doing the research for this project it was the 50th anniversary Mm -hmm. um, of the Freedom Ride and you know which Paul Kelly actually so everyone kind of linked into each other which I loved as well in this really weird way. Um, Paul Kelly went and sung at that Freedom Ride and um, Hedy went on the um, you know this 50th anniversary Mm -hmm. Freedom Ride tour with her sister Rachel Perkins the film director and so they the iconic moment from that Freedom Ride which really was pictured everywhere at the time and, and made it a massive kind of media story really was of her father Charlie Perkins um, when he took a whole bunch of Indigenous kids to the pool in Moree. Moree, thank you. So, <laughs> so, so many places. For anyone that doesn't know any <coughs> background of what we're talking about, the Freedom Ride was in 1965 and it was a group of university students who to highlight some of the um, I guess the segregation, ongoing segregation, or as they were described, um, apartheid, essentially, continued apartheid in um, remote communities or, uh, not sorry, not remote communities, regional areas. um, And so basically there was about sort of 25 of them or something and they jumped on a bus and they visited all these um, Aboriginal communities. Or country towns, Country towns, yeah. And it all came to a head at the swimming pool in Moray. Yeah, exactly. And I think the pool was the place that really highlighted it because at the time um, it was kind of RSL clubs and... um, and pools essentially that were main public spaces that uh, Aboriginal people were not allowed to go into at mm. that time. So the pool, um, there were very set times and, and 
non-Indigenous kids would not swim with Indigenous kids and they were only during school hours and then um, if they wanted to go recreationally, they just weren't allowed in. Any Aboriginal people were not allowed to go in and swim in that pool. So basically they were highlighting this fact. It was a very hot day. They kind of turned up. They actually went twice to this pool um, and it was, as you say, this culmination of a, you know, there were, there were a lot of tensions and a lot of very, um, it was a very heated moment apparently. And I remember interviewing Hetty for it and she kind of spoke very emotionally about, you know, how confronting it was for everyone involved because a lot mm. of the um, non-Aboriginal people in the in the community were not owning up to the fact that, in fact, a number of the men, you know, were having affairs with some of the women in the yeah. Indigenous community. So they were refusing entry to some of their own children as well and there was this very, very heated moment and police were involved and, um, yeah, it was clearly a very kind of important moment in history really that that focused around this event in the pool where eventually they got in and they let the Indigenous kids in and Charlie Perkins is there in the centre of this photograph with all these kids kind of jumping over him in the pool and it was a really momentous occasion essentially. And, again, just highlights how central especially in these um, more regional areas like how central the swimming pool is to yeah. life as a place yeah and that was the other nice thing so then talking to the romance was born guys Anna Plunkett and Luke Sales they actually both grew up in country towns so Anna grew up in Albury um, Luke grew up near Newcastle and for them they really point out that the pool was the social place that's where mm. they went during school holidays everyone would go out and hang out at the pool and the pool is a really important place for country towns so it's not just for remote indigenous communities actually for all like you know smaller communities mm. or many of them in Australia it really is you know the the place the focal point of of a lot of social interactions. I spent a lot of my school holidays when I was growing up. Um, my grandparents lived in a small country town in Queensland. It was about 2,000 people. And um, the swimming pool was like, that was it. For, yeah. <laughs> for entertainment during summer, like it was the swimming pool or yeah. amuse yourself in the backyard. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think as architects too, again, that's what we wanted to highlight through our exhibition. It's not, uh, you know, we weren't there to present you know, amazing projects. They're really well resolved and, oh, look, we've solved all these issues and we've got the, you know, the perfect pools here in our country. It was to kind of highlight the fact that these are really important social spaces. And, yeah, we deal with them in really interesting ways in this country, but there are a lot of other things that we can think about and how we approach these, you know, moving on to the future mm. in pools that we keep working on and that are coming up and that kind of thing. So the project really did talk to a number of pools that had just been built and also the ones that are proposed for the future. But Shane Gould in particular was really interesting to talk to because she's actually doing a PhD currently yeah um, that blew my mind yeah <laughs> um, pool spaces as social spaces um, in particular for adolescents actually she kind of argues or has this kind of theory that you know they are really important spaces mm. for adolescents to really find themselves yeah and she talks about it in the book as being yes. um, the place where they learn to become adults and that yeah. you know that almost they need a place to be able to act out like to be able to bomb dive in the exactly, pool and stuff yeah. like that and to I guess, you know, teach them how to interact with the world in a way that that is okay and, you know, yeah. to teach them about politeness and yes. and down to the level of detail of she talks about, well, you know, you don't necessarily want them doing that in the, the middle of where everyone else is. So no. it's a good design idea to provide a diving board for them to like yeah. jump off and stuff like yeah, that. Like different areas. Something else that always stuck to me too from my interview with her was that she said, you know, we actually spend a very, very small percentage of the time but that we spend at a pool, in the pool. Yeah. It's actually a large percentage of the time we spent around the pool and that's why those spaces are actually just as important, really. And again, that's something that we wanted to test out and like highlight in the exhibition space, in the, like, the actual space itself, that the edges around the pool were almost more important than the pool. You, you, know, you need the pool to create yep. the edges. Obviously, the pool is very integral and important to, the, to that design and that idea, but those edges are really how you experience that space. I'm dying to ask if anyone 
got in the pool. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And that was great. <laughs> that was a moment of success. Yeah. I think a lot of people didn't really believe that would happen. Pools create a lot of anxiety as well. So although yeah. it's, you know, it's a place of, you know, people associate it with joy and fun, um, it's also very stressful too um, yeah, yeah. because, you know, there's a lot of danger around a pool. A lot of yeah. kids die, especially in Australia, in pools. So putting a pool in the space was a bit stressful for many people yeah. involved in this. So it was a very particular level or depth that, you know, was acceptable for a public space. So like a public water feature, essentially, it was yeah. the depth of that. Um, so we didn't need to fence it. And, and But, you know, in the NGV, you may, there, there were people around and they did actually treat it like a pool too. There's a cupboard around the corner that houses, you know, <laughs> all of the safety stuff yeah, and, right. you know, direction, you know, the instruction um, kind of poster if someone, if you need to resuscitate someone and that kind of yeah, thing. Right. So it's treated very much like a pool. Yeah, so people get in, got in the pool absolutely in Venice, put someone, an adult, swam across the pool, which was also fantastic. I was in the space <laughs> at the time. And, yeah, kids just went crazy, like, you know, got in and, yeah. and they would come back on several occasions actually with their swimmers often and, you know, and people would come. It became during this sort of opening period of the, the most sort of busy time of the Biennale, people really did treat it as a place to come and rest and, like, relax afterwards. So yeah. they could kind of, again, we treated it as this place, space that people, you could either engage with as much or as little as you wanted yep. to. And that's what we wanted. You know, it wasn't in your face in terms of the content. You could pick up the paper and read it if you wanted to. You could listen to the voices, but they weren't too loud as well. You could find a space where you're away from the voices and there was this kind of ambient soundtrack. So even we'd even catch some of the security guys from the Biennale, <laughs> like just come and for their lunch break, they'd be sitting down and they'd tell us, you know, this is our favourite place to come and just hang out. And, and the kids that would come, their parents would just sit up on the kind of bleacher stepped area um, next to the pool and let their kids play while they read the paper or whatever. It was great. It, it really was like you created a little little sli- yeah. slice of Australia over yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. There is um, when you when you see it in Melbourne, um, mm. there is a sign that says that you are welcome to get in. Yes. But yeah. no, I was by myself, so right. I was like, I want to be the oh, only okay. person. I know it's like, hard to be yeah. that first person. You <laughs> need someone to kind of break it. But yeah, no, a lot of apparently kids um, would come back. It will come regularly to yeah. the pool at the NGV, like on a Sunday, apparently. Yeah. They come and swim in, in their swimmers. And I really like that, the fact that... And there it's quite a different context too where it's really... It's at Federation Square, as you said, so it's very much um, on a public plaza and it's on a very busy street. So you really have this connection with the city and yet you're in this pool environment and there's a seat, you know, a bench seat. You can sit in the sun in the edge and then, you know, play and just, it's free as well. So it's nice that people can just walk in and off the street. Were there any of the stories? I mean, we've we've shared a couple of them already, but what what were some of the other ones that surprised you? Um, there are there's just so many great stories. I don't know that they necessarily surprised me. I think we got to the point that, you know, every story was a good story, so <laughs> it wasn't really a surprise that it, they were all such good stories. But um, as I said, there were some great things that kind of linked people, which is always nice. But um, the in the exhibition space, we put up this sign, which is from Fitzroy Baths in. Um, Melbourne and mm-hmm. Fitzroy Bars became a, a one a, like a particular pool that came up um, a lot in our research and you know a lot of these spaces are not particularly interesting from an architectural or design viewpoint but mm-hmm. they're so interesting culturally. Fitzroy Bars was really fought over to be retained by the community and um, 
they were going to close it down and basically the community got up in arms about it and protested and, you know, they were there in hundreds protesting mm. this, the closure of this pool because it was, um, con- you know, they found it so significant as, as a community space and also it pops up culturally so many times. So it's mentioned in um, Helen Garner's book Monkey Grip, which is very well known and was very well known at the time, that it was written and there was a movie made of it and um, this very, <laughs> again, there are very funny little iconic things around particular places that are, that are perhaps quite unexpected. So here it's the sign, Aqua Profunda, uh, which is in big, bold letters painted um, uh, at the end of, of the pool, at one end of the pool. And actually it's misspelt, in fact, but it's heritage listed. <laughs> so um, it's a mixture of Latin and Italian. So at the time, I think in the... Yeah, when at the time it was like the mid 50s yeah, or something that got painted yeah. I think so yeah and um, there was a large Italian migrant community and the pool attendant um, you know got frustrated with with all of these migrant children jumping in the deep end not realising it was the deep end so he got a friend to help him write this sign in Italian he had it painted up but they forgot to put the sea in aqua um, which is so it became the Latin version. I don't know whether apparently it's a common child's misspelling of right. in, in Italy, which was quite funny that we did this misspelling. So we put that sign, the misspelled sign, in our yeah. space in Venice. And being in Italy, of course, you know, <laughs> it was hard to know whether people just thought we were going to think that we were complete idiots and we'd completely misspelled it. In fact, the sign, one of the sign writers, when they painted it, um, they did this hilarious job. We had to get someone else to come and fix it, and, and uh, a painter came because they did a slightly messy job, the contractors we had first. And so we had this other painter said he could fix it for us and, and you know, um, neaten up the edges and he neatened it all up and he said, look, I fixed it up as best I can, but I can't fix the spelling. <laughs> we said, it's okay. Don't worry. <laughs> we understand. It's deliberate. It's fine, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk for a second about um, when you were saying, you know, dealing with contractors over there. How did that even work? So you, you guys were selected as the creative directors. Yes. You've designed the the exhibition for mm-hmm. the pavilion, so it's happening thousands of miles away. Yeah. How do you how do you manage construction on something between sitting here in Sydney and it coming to life in Venice? We were pretty fortunate, and this is also a part of why we got to this point in the first place of the whole idea of the. Um, for the project in fact Amelia and I worked for a number of years or many years before we started our own practice at Nice and Mercat Architects where we had worked during the whole time that we were there pretty much on a project um, called Prince Alfred Park Pool ah. which um, had just been completed really right. and that was a large part of our experience so I think maybe pools as kind of community and social spaces were probably quite fresh in our minds and maybe yeah. that's why we kind of came to this idea why well, I'd say it would be why we came to this idea and um the pool engineer um, and consultant that we worked with and the pool uh, builders, in fact, happened to be Italian, happened to be <laughs> based, well, the, the pool um, engineer happened to be Italian, uh, Livio Chiaro, and um, we got on very well with him throughout that project too, but also then um, the, the contractors that did the pool um, renovation installed these new stainless steel kind of system. Um, within the pool is actually an Italian company called Mirtha, who are based in Verona, which is not very of far course. from Venice. <laughs> So we were very lucky in that aspect, given that although you kind of rely on to a certain expect, um, a certain extent um, with these projects on the experience and contacts of the Institute of Architects, mm. um, has done the Biennale for a number of years or had done it for a number of years prior to us. So, you know, they have their contacts and have a certain um, people that they can 
talk to and arrange for you and that kind of thing. Mm. But obviously the pool was a really significant part of this. So the fact that we managed to get the pool in there, I think a lot of people didn't think that we would make it happen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It was a large part of the budget, but it was also a really important part of the project for us to have the pool there. So we were really lucky that we could set up this conversation, having had the experience on working on that big project for them. And a lot of their market is actually in Australia for this Italian company. Right. So they were keen to be supportive yeah. and help us out too. So, we, you know, everyone benefited. It was really, really great. And the reception that it got over there sounds like it was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that was another great thing. Uh, perhaps that was oh, not unexpected necessarily, but I actually felt like the um, international community really understood what we were saying almost more so, (laughs) at least in the press, um, in our press interviews Mm. over there, than the Australian people that went over. I don't don't entirely know why, because we had a lot of, you know, great interviews here. I mean, not that they weren't great interviews, but it was just interesting that people really latched onto Mm. it and got, and were quite passionate about it. You know, from Deutsche Welle, the news um, kind of company from Berlin, they they really loved the story and interviewed us a number of times and that actually inspired them to go on and and do a whole other kind of um, story about pools more broadly um, internationally and they kind of brought it back at the end of their whole because they sent it to us afterwards too they brought it back to our project as well in our interview which was nice and then also Monocle did a whole series of interviews as well and you know the person that interviewed us was from um, the UK and she really you know Mm. was very kind of enthusiastic and passionate about it too which is great. You guys had a great headline in the New York Times that yeah. was a social history of Australia through its swimming pools, which pretty much sums yeah. it up so well, yeah, the, the sort of the true. whole project. Yeah, absolutely. We mentioned that it's not just the exhibition living on in Melbourne right now. There is the book that goes along with it, which um, if you want a great coffee table book that's very Australian and very beautiful and very well put together, get your hands on this book. Um, and in that, one of the... Um, one of the things that struck me about that book is the ocean swimming pools here in Sydney mm. that are just so amazing. Yeah, they are, aren't they? I mean, that's why we were kind of taught about how much you didn't. We didn't want to take away the focus from the broader national picture too, but they are amazing, and everyone thinks they're amazing. So yeah, there is a, a an amazing or oh, sort of in the centre of the book, we've got a series of um, incredible photographs taken, um, sort of aerial photographs of all of these pools. So. It's amazing to see all the different shapes, really, essentially, and the different conditions yeah. and how they each kind of cut into the rock in different ways. And In all of your research and just from your general lived experience, it, do you have a favourite pool? I don't really. I, I mean, I feel like my default to say is only because of my personal connection is probably Prince Alfred Park Pool. Right. <laughs> just because, you know, obviously it's been having spent a long period of time on that project and being involved in the design on different levels and seeing through the construction mm-hmm. of different aspects... Yeah, I feel a particular attachment so often when I, you know, I always like driving past just because it's quite an animated pool from a distance too, just the yellow umbrellas that kind of go up and down as well depending on the weather and, yeah. Well, congratulations so much. You guys did a a fantastic job um, on the exhibition. The pool can be seen um, just for a short window left if you want to get in to see it. It's running until the 18th of February uh, at the National Gallery in Victoria in um, Federation Square. Yep. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. 